I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Everyone, I am so excited about today's episode of Beauty Bosses. I have my friend and amazing beauty boss, Bina Palnatkar Patel, here uh, on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you. Bina is such a boss. She is a partner at Greenberg Traurig. Um, She's a business lawyer and litigator, which as we all know from Clueless, is the scariest kind of lawyer. (laughs) And your work focuses on intellectual property, disputes, and counterfeiting, which I find so interesting. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I've recently enjoyed our friendship and our relationship together. So thanks for having me. And all the way from Texas, too. So that's like extra special. Yes, Dallas. Um, Yay. The Hollywood of the South. (laughs) <laughs> I've never heard that. That's so funny. I may have just made it up. Okay. No, I, I like it. I think we should make that happen. Um, okay. So Bina, you do such interesting work. And I think one of the coolest things about your path is that you really came up as a litigator and business lawyer in a very male-dominated climate. Um, so I was hoping that you could start by first telling us what you thought you were going to be when you were in high school and college, and then telling us how you got to be where you are right now. Sure. Um, Nobody knows what they're going to do in high school and college, but uh, when I was in college, this whole iBanking trend was going on, and it was very lucrative, very sexy to be an iBanker, but I focused kind of on the trading aspect of it, so options trading. And after college, I went to become the third woman on the floor of the CBO, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. And it was great experience. I was um, surrounded in pits by 500 guys. And you know, you see it on TV, you wear the jackets, you scream at the top of your lungs to get on a ticket so you can make a market to get on a deal. It was exhilarating and it definitely um, put some hair on my chest, I suppose. It made me a very tough kind of person, but it makes you a great advocate for what you need. You're fighting to get certain positions for your book. Um, and I never thought I would be a lawyer, but um, while I was there in Chicago, my father passed away and I needed to change my profession so that one day I could go home and be with my family if I needed. I'm an only child. So I translated that um, new learned advocacy set, excuse me, into um, something that I could do in the law, which was being a trial attorney. So instead of fighting in the pit with the guys over making a market, now I can take that set of skills to the courtroom and advocate for clients. And um, I was looking for where to go to law school when this was all going down, and I met a man on the street in Chicago, and then I chose a Chicago law school because of this guy that I met, and it turned out to be my husband later. So it was a good bet. Oh my god! <laughs> but your husband is not in law. What does he do? No, he's a neurosurgeon, um, a brain and spine surgeon, and uh, we met on the street just randomly. He could have been a psycho killer, but I had a good feeling about him. <laughs> we met on the street, and um, he was in Chicago. I was in Chicago. It, it was a match, and I chose a Chicago law school because of him. And that's like kind of taking a pretty big risk, but it paid off. It so did. You must have good instincts. I hope so. He's, you kind of know when you know. You know, you've 
you've seen a few people and you know when when you've got a good one I had a great one. Oh my god that's so sweet <laughs> okay and now you've made a name for yourself as like a, a major lawyer um, really all over the country and world but especially in some of these really interesting and controversial areas so tell us a little bit about what your work is focusing on right now. Sure I enjoy intellectual property disputes so that can include trademark infringement, counterfeited I mean, sorry, counterfeited goods and copyright issues. Um, so some of my big clients that are in beauty, for example, they have routine problems with manufacturers copying their goods and selling them on online platforms or even on in brick and mortar places as if they are the actual goods. They're passing them off as the actual goods when in fact they are counterfeited and made for much cheaper prices with horrible ingredients that can really damage your skin. Yeah, that's crazy. Are you seeing an influx of counterfeit goods now that online sales have really skyrocketed? 100%. A lot of the places that we see this is online, and it's hard to spot now because the packaging is so dead on, or they will advertise what is a proper product and then actually ship you another product. And maybe you're not paying attention or you're just so eager to use the product that you take it off, uh, take out, take it out of the packaging and use it, and find that you know at the best situation it's ineffective but at the worst situation that it's a safety issue right because i've heard all these stories about like those news articles as recently as last month with mercury poisoning and counterfeit goods and so what are people doing are they are they literally just reading the ingredient list and making a fake version of it are they copying the package like what does the what do counterfeiters actually literally do they, it depends how sophisticated they are. So your packaging is very sophisticated. It's got embossing, it's got shine to it. It makes it hard for a counterfeiter to replicate because they don't want to spend that much money in the um, exquisite packaging that you have. But some people will have a very basic packaging or clean packaging and that makes it easier for a counterfeiter to replicate. What they will do is oftentimes if the packaging is maybe made overseas, they will go and get the design templates for that, you know, mm-hmm. walk it out the back door and make a version of that box which looks very identical to the one that is the authentic brand. Um, they will also, yes, they'll read the ingredients and certainly write that on there, but that doesn't stop them from using super glue to um, be a cheaper version of an adhesive in any kind of product. Yeah, that's crazy. Like that Netflix documentary. Did you watch that? Which one? There's a new Netflix documentary out that is looking at like the cost of beauty and um, and basically this whole epidemic of counterfeiting. And, um, you yes. know, where, where do you think the opportunity lies for this counterfeiting cycle in beauty to really be stopped? Ah, well, some things that we do are to really monitor online. You can get a service that will monitor and we check for price differentials. We'll check for abnormal packaging. Um, A lot of online monitoring is a great way to stop it. And if you also want to take one step further, you should look for brands that sell it. So if you're on Amazon, look for an Amazon seller or sold by Amazon or sold by uh, Scientific Beauty, for example, and not a third party that's claiming to resell an authentic product because chances are they don't have the right to resell that and they're making it themselves. Yeah. Um, let's see, you can always look at reviews as well. If you see on Amazon that there's negative reviews, um, 
you know that this might be an issue because people are more, there's a bias in posting reviews. People who are more upset with the product will tend to post more negative about it than people who are excited about it. So if people are posting negative reviews about it, it might be that there's a substituted product. So the product is not as advertised. Mm -hmm. But um, the alternate is that if there's a lot of good reviews, but they're short reviews, like great product, and they're all posted within one or two days of each other, it may be that they've hired someone to do what's called brushing, which is just start writing fake reviews. Now I'm confusing it because now you're worried that if I get positive reviews or negative reviews, it may not be a brand. But I think if you look at who's selling it and see that it's a reputable seller and check how many times they've sold it, you can see whether you're buying from a legit source. How do you differentiate the, the kind of blurry line between counterfeits and what I would call more like intellectual property knockoffs. Because if something, if someone's pretending to be the Kylie lip kit and they're making, you know, a bunch of noxious products and super glue and crayon Mm -hmm. color and, you know, that's clearly a counterfeit. That's clearly illegal. It's infringing on her trademark. That's obviously not good. Mm -hmm. But what about the situations where a different brand will pop up with like a copycat look and a copycat formulation and it's a product like SPF or like vitamin C that's not inherently patentable or like a certain color red. Like, you know, kind of like what we see in fashion where you can't copyright a design of a wrap dress, but everybody knows it's Diane von Furstenberg and just right. you just see it echoed everywhere else. So how does that work? Well, now the copyright protections go to what is utilitarian. So is it a function of the actual actual dress that makes it so special and protectable? So in your case, you're saying if someone has something similar to a Kylie lip kit and they're advertising it, it's not a trademark infringement because they are not passing it off as the Kylie lip kit. And it's not a counterfeit because they are, again, not purporting to be selling a Kylie lip kit and fooling you into thinking that you're buying the Kylie lip kit when in fact it's the Kaylee lip kit. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but I have heard that that um, Kylie, lip ki- Kylie lip glosses are the ones that are having a lot of counterfeiting issues with the super glue and your lipstick together, which is an issue. But, um, you know, the way we also protect against this is we educate the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol on what is counterfeit, what to look for. We do educational trainings with them, with our clients and their products to have them spot how to find the counterfeit. And then when they do and they become educated about it, they hold it at the border and they sequester it so that we can go and inspect it, which is a great line of defense. Um, We also, as I said, we do monitor the online price differentials and then you have to register your trademarks as you've done um, with your line. You need to protect the brand, protect the image and the packaging to make sure that you have all the protections in place so that when you want to enforce against someone who is copying you or passing off their goods as yours, you have the, the backup to do so. Yeah. What about things like, do you remember when we were growing up, the designer imposter fragrances oh, yes. where if it was like, like Armani, you <laughs> love Armani. <laughs> exactly. Or like, this is not Eternity by Calvin Klein, but it's Infinity by, you know, Those are great. Calvin Stein. <laughs> and it's like... 
Are those, is that like an acceptable thing to do? I saw them on the shelves of stores for decades. You know, that's been disputed and litigated against, but they're clearly not passing themselves off as the Calvin Klein, okay? They are, it's almost in the realm of parody, but yes, designer imposters. I know there's been litigation (laughs) over it. Nowadays, I think they are not trying to claim that they are Calvin Klein. In Mm -hmm. fact, they disclaim it by saying, if you like Calvin Klein, you'll like this junkie product. So um, that there, it's a little tougher to argue against that because they're explicitly disclaiming that they are what product they are trying to imitate. And, um, you know, imitation is going to be out there and it's not necessarily protectable, as you've seen with Diane Von Furstenberg dresses. Yeah, that's so interesting because you always think about stuff like, you know, works of art and fashion and beauty and things like that. As, like, you can really, especially for these talented designers you can really see their heart and mind and craftsmanship in it it feels almost wrong that it can be completely copied but i guess um i guess it's inspired by and it's a a version of it sure yes in fact there's um some bags that take the louis vuitton monogram and they have a canvas bag and they put a picture of a louis vuitton bag on the canvas bag and that was actually um a big uh case a big court case in the past few years where the judge finally said I know Louis Vuitton I know you don't think this is a joke but this is a joke it's a parody I'm laughing at it this is a canvas bag which is clearly not a Louis Vuitton bag but it has a picture of Louis on it as if someone Mm -hmm. wanted to wear it and the judge said you know I find for the the defendant who made the bags and the Supreme Court declined to hear it because I think people are now starting to realize what is parody and what is actually people who are passing off as the actual goods. Yeah. And, you know, just to play devil's advocate from what I was saying before, you kind of want to protect the idea that um, there should be some accessibility of a certain concept to all price points. That, like, you know, you can certainly buy my hyaluronic serum um, at a high price point and I think that it's a best-in-class product you know and I, I think that there are certain differentiating factors but it's um, it's not inexpensive and you can also buy one that is a fraction of the cost and maybe it's not exactly the same quality of material or exactly the same percentages of active ingredients but I do like the idea of democratizing beauty and allowing people to exist at different aspects of the market sure what do you think about that I agree I mean um, should you be prevented from having good skincare because you can't afford the extremely high end? No, but you have to realize that if you spend X, you may not get what you would have gotten with the Y brand. But um, yes, accessibility for beauty is that should be a motto for someone's. But yes, it's a great idea, and um, you just have to find that fine line between what you want to spend and what you want to get out of it and then where those two intersect is kind of the product for you. But in certain instances, there's only, you have to pay a higher price to get what you want to achieve. You know, it's not uh, everything you can get on the inexpensive side. So you just have to splurge where you want and uh, save where you want to save. Yeah, (laughs) and I feel like there's always going to be an inherent value in authenticity. And even though, you know, a great innovator is always going to be followed by, you know, copycats, 
you you don't go into Zara thinking that you're going to pick up a Chanel quality tweed jacket. You think that you like the look of the Chanel tweed jacket and you don't really like the price of it and you want something that is going to be more wearable and maybe for a season or two instead of for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Um, but I think that that's legitimate on some level. When, yeah. I, when I argued one of my first federal cases, I remember I was in Austin and um, I we used to get my suits at Forever 21, which I still love, you know, in theory, but um, the quality isn't the greatest. And I remember I was wearing a suit and um, I bent over and the skirt seam ripped completely in half in court. Oh my <laughs> and God. And the court, the judge's clerk offered to staple it in the judge's chambers for me. It was the most embarrassing thing, but yes. Oh my God. You can't, uh, you can't expect to have long lasting things with um, some of the fast fashion brands yeah it's it's the authenticity is you know a little can go a long way if you decide where to splurge yeah what do you think the trickiest part about enforcing copyright law is whether it's in beauty or in anything else in copyright law well or sorry sorry not copyright necessarily but like the concept of protecting counterfeits okay or the concept of protecting copyrighted things or trademarked things from counterfeiters. Okay. Um, so, tra- okay. So trademarked protections against counter, yeah. amongst counterfeiters. The, I'm sorry, you said the, the hardest. Yeah. Thing. Like what, what's the, what's the hardest part from like a lawyer's standpoint to keep brands safe from counterfeiters? Sure. Um, that's easy. It's the whack-a-mole job that we play with the online market. So as soon as you think that you have solved a problem on Amazon with one certain retailer who is selling counterfeit products, four more will pop up after it because um, usually they're related to each other or it's just become uh, a very profitable way to make money for these people. So there are more and more counterfeiters popping up and you have to really monitor the online vast marketplace, which is, you know, goes into infinity, I suppose. And to keep tabs on everyone is certainly a a new problem that we're facing. But with the right tools in place, you know, you can get services and do a brand through Amazon. There are ways to um, monitor and try to start curing these people. But going after them is difficult, too, sometimes because they are in remote parts of China or um, Europe, and it's hard to go and enforce. That's where Customs and Border Protection really helps. Oh, that's so interesting, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. you can't exactly sue someone who's not in this country, right? Right. We, if they don't have the people here, right, you'll have to go. But we certainly go and take care of things in other countries with the factories and um, our people on the ground there. Yeah. What's your day-to-day life like as a partner in the law firm? Oh, gosh, it can range. Um, some days I'm negotiating deals and trying to settle cases. Some days I'm in court um, arguing you know, in rare instances, trial, which I love, and um, the adrenaline rush is so fun. And some days I'm, you know, going around meeting clients and just they have problems or one day will be really bad for a client. They'll have three or four things come up. So I just go visit them and we sit and we problem solve everything together in a session. And um, I like the feeling that when I leave, they feel like, okay, things are under control and we have a plan. I feel like having a plan is always a good a good idea that um, makes you settled in case more adversities pop up. You know that you have a plan and you can go the course. 
Has being a litigator helped you win arguments, just generally speaking, in life and like everyday situations? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, people go to law school and they don't necessarily become lawyers, but it does tell it does craft a way of thinking logically. Mm-hmm. And being a litigator does help because I can um, formulate my argument and then pick out what I think are going to be the rebuttal points and have a response to those. I can also start thinking about what to anticipate with the other side. And so you're playing offense and defense at the same time and uh, being prepared at all times. So it's, it's helped me in every aspect of my life, for sure. My dad once gave me this article called The Art of Power Negotiation, which I really loved, and I cut out um, from the magazine. I think it was in Forbes in like circa 1990 or something like that. I was literally <laughs> a child, but, love um, but that was a real dad move. But I loved this article because it gave a bunch of tips on not really how to win a fight, like a litigate a fight, but on how to negotiate. And one of the things um, that it said was, um, you know, be calm, but persistent. And I was wondering if you had any like specific pearls about how people can either negotiate or win an argument or kind of get to a solution that they want in talking to other people in their regular lives. Oh, talking in your regular life. Like, let's say you're arguing with your, I mean, not arguing, let's say you're kindly disagreeing (laughs) with your spouse or your best friend or your parent about a certain topic. Like, how do you, what are ways to be persuasive and not be mean Mm -hmm. and come to a successful conclusion? Well, I certainly think that acknowledging the other person's side is a big part of it. So if you were to say that um, the sky is green and I were to say that the sky is blue, and I know you're flatly wrong, but I'm trying to help you see the light, you would say the sky is green and I would say, I can understand how you might feel the sky is green and to some people maybe but in this one instance I feel you know you just give them a little acknowledgement so they not they don't feel like they're just flatly wrong oh I love you know, that that's so good help them feel that what they're thinking isn't crazy okay. but you're going to help corral them to see this other side that maybe they might agree with and that's of course the right side because it's your <laughs> side but um you know it's it's no one wants to get beat up they want to feel understood and they want to be heard. So if you help them feel understood and heard and then tell them what's real, it will help make the conversation go a little better. Oh, this is gold. This is like, <laughs> this is really good. Okay, do you have more? Oh my that's gosh, like I think goodness. Um, no, that, <laughs> that was it. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sure so I have more, but <laughs> I'm sure I have more. Um, no, I that's like really spot, good. But that is the number one negotiating tactic. So if someone thinks that they have a claim against my client for $5 million when, in fact, their claim is probably worth $500,000, okay? We say, you know, okay, tell me why you think it's $5 million, and then say, okay, I can I can understand that. Give them a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't just say no to everything and just beat them up. Give them a few points so that so they feel that they've won a few points, but then beat them up on the big stuff, but in a gentle way. So, you know, okay, you think it's $5 million for this. All right, I can see how you can, I'll get, you know, I understand that that carries a little weight but not as much as you think, and then start working backwards from there. Mm. Yeah, no one likes to be beat up, right? Because then everyone's on the on the defensive when they feel like they're being attacked on every angle. You want everyone to just go with the flow. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, and what advice do you have for anyone who's listening to this podcast? There are a lot of 
you know, younger people who listen to this podcast who maybe want to be lawyers or who are interested mm-hmm. in careers related to litigation. Do you have any advice about how to how to be somebody like you? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a lot of hard work involved. I will say that I saw Legally Blonde, and I this is before I even was part of the legal community, but I thought, wow, this is glamorous, this is fun, she looks amazing. And it's not like that, certainly. There's a lot of days where we are just nose to the grindstone, more than most, and then you get that one day a year where you're in court shining, you know, feeling like a hero. But um, there's a lot of hard work involved. It's not just law. In any profession that you want to be successful in, there's a lot of hard work involved. But it's a journey, and um, if, if you like the work and you enjoy the... Uh, camaraderie that is in the legal community, which you which you can. I think there's many aspects of the legal community that you would be happy in any certain area if you truly want to be a lawyer. You just have to kind of navigate to see which part of it interests you. But that plus hard work, I, you will be successful. I, I truly believe in hard work and great work ethic will get you wherever you want to go. There can be twists and turns. It, it's not a straight journey from A to B, and uh, you just follow the journey. And, yeah, and see where you land. And I love Legally Blonde too. Yeah. I feel like I love Reese Witherspoon. She's the best. But it also was really cute and cool and kind of paradigm altering to see a woman really being so feminine in a role that was traditionally so masculine. Not that femininity or masculinity really has anything to do with anything, but it is nice to have this idea that you can be your own kind of self. Mm-hmm. And she fashioned it so where she was acceptable being in her own skin in a community that was black and white. She was bright pink, right? Yeah. And she was she made others realize that it's okay to do that. And then we'll never forget the uh, chemical and aperm ammonium thigloplate uh. <laughs> from that trial in Legally Blonde. Uh, it was a good moment. <laughs> Um, but yes, I, you know what, I actually feel, not to make myself into anyone like Elwood's, but I do feel that I've carved my own path within our firm and within um, the legal community because it is, um, I'm a mother of three and it's not just always FaceTime in the office. There's, there's many ways to skin a cat. Well, let me not say that. I just saw that Netflix documentary. But there's um, a lot of ways to go about something to make it your own. And there's not one set way. The guys in my office may have had a certain set way 10 years ago to just work and grind every day at the office and then go to a certain path. That certainly wouldn't work with a lot of women who have families to juggle and kids who are sick at school that we have to leave and pick up. I mean, um, you have to make it into your own. So what she did in that movie is actually now I'm having a, a feeling of camaraderie with her because... I've certainly done that, or I feel I've done oh, that totally. with our family. And, you know, my husband is a, um, he's a busy surgeon like yourself, and you just have to make it work. And then you do, and you carve your own path. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I mean, you're juggling a new baby as well, in addition to all of <laughs> yes. this, which is truly incredible. Yes. It's, um, it's a blessing to have all these kids, um, but it certainly makes you appreciate the women who are at home, because I sometimes say that, 
uh, going to trial is sometimes easier than being at home with all three on like a snow day. Oh, I totally <laughs> say that. The, the main advantage of having six children from a work standpoint is that I have a five-day weekend. Like when I come to the office Monday through Friday, that is my time to yes, relax. It is difficult at home. So, um, yeah. But it's also great for um, your children to see what you do and um, learn that they can be anything they want to be if they just if they go for it. It sounds so cliche, but they have the daily proof with you and your husband at home that you guys are hardworking and you're truly breaking new boundaries. I mean, you have done things for the plastic surgery profession that I've never seen anyone do, what and you are the you are so very admired amongst your colleagues. And now I've seen it on Instagram. People are trying to. I don't want to say imitate, but conform to be Lara the Gunway <laughs> on Instagram. I mean, you you pioneered the social media aspect of plastic surgery. You know, you must know that, don't you? Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> you're so well, sweet. Well, it's true. So, um, you know, my children sometimes, if I'm on a phone call, I'll have them listen in, on an AirPod, you know, so they can while they're coloring, so they can hear me negotiate a contract or me um, have a healthy discussion quotes with opposing counsel. But they can start having that in the background so they learn at least my part of the business and then maybe their dads and just start learning about the world at a young age. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, I admire you so much and everything you've done for law. (laughs) Thanks for talking to us about counterfeiting and all of these interesting legal dilemmas. And I hope I never have to go down this road with my skincare line, but if I do... I know a great lawyer. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Um, And thank you so much. This has been so great.